into 932 here in Acts, we're going to get a glimpse of our future resurrection. And this is what it says, picking up in verse 32. You can follow along. It says, now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Let's just stop right there. We're eventually going to go through verse 43. So what we see happening as the disciples continue to take the message of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel far and wide to both Jews and Gentiles being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do these miraculous works. We see Peter goes to these coastal towns. He goes to Lydda and Joppa and he's preaching the gospel. He's visiting Christians. He's healing the sick. Heck, he's raising the dead. We're going to read that in about a minute. I know. What did I do last week? right? At the end of the day. But Peter finds this man, it says, named Aeneas, who it says was bedridden and paralyzed for eight years. Eight years. Now the language used here tells us that this is a brother with severe paralysis. Use of his limbs has been lost, right? There are no rehabilitation centers or techniques or technology available back in this time. Aeneas isn't spending every Tuesday with his physical therapist working to regain some movement in his limbs and some mobility in his legs. This was a brother in a very disadvantaged place in society. Given the state that he was in, he would have had no way to provide for himself. There would have been no government funding available to him. There would have been no, nothing but charitable help coming his way, the goodness of somebody's heart to help this brother out. That's all he had available to him. So Peter comes to this man, and there's a pattern for Peter coming to men because he did this back in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. Well, remember, he invoked the power and presence of Jesus for a man at the temple gate who had been lame from birth. Remember what Peter said, he said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you, he said. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This time, he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And what we see here is that immediately the man rises and he rolls up, would have been like his bed at the time, probably some kind of a mat. And again, Peter Peter hasn't learned any new magic tricks here. He calls on the name of of Jesus. And by the power of Jesus, this brother paralyzed for eight years gets up and walks. It says, and immediately he rose. And then we see this ongoing trend, which is that another miracle by another brother faithful to the work that God has given to him leads to the advancement of the gospel. Because it says the residents of Lydda and Sharon, which was a town close to Lydda, turn to the Lord. So as the people see this man's health restored, something happens. What happens? Well, it leads them to their own spiritual restoration with Jesus. And you know what? God still heals people like this today. He still does it. So we need to be a church that prays for healing because God can still do this work. He's not crippled from doing this work anymore. He's not disadvantaged from doing this work anymore. Some of his power hasn't left him so that he's unable to still heal people like he did back then. Now, scripture doesn't say God doesn't heal. So we need to be a church who prays for healing. 
We need to be a church that trusts that if God so chooses, he can and will heal. Here's what we don't see in Scripture. What we don't see in Scripture when it comes to healing are disciples and apostles demanding that God heals. We don't see that. We don't see anywhere that God is obligated to heal because God's not obligated to heal. We don't see that physical healing is God's greatest desire for us while on earth too because it may not be for some people as much as it may be for some people. In fact, the definition of a miracle is that it's something unusual. It's something not typical. It's not normative, which is why we call it a miracle. And by the way, the paralytic, this brother, would not stay healed forever, right? This man that rises and walks eventually stops walking one day and dies. Sorry for the the bad news. That's what happens. What healing most significantly points to is the day when all physical healing will be permanent. What's most significant is that all the residents saw him. And what does it say? What was their response? It says, they turned to the Lord in verse 35. What about some of you who come week after week to substance? Some of you who see evidence of people restored spiritually and are walking in newness of life. What effect does it have on you? Do you think, yeah, that's me, I'm like them. But in reality, if we go a little bit deeper, there's not been any actual real turning to the Lord like the residents of Lydda and Sherman. To turn to the Lord, to begin to walk in newness of life, it, it means something. It means you have a heart that is eager to turn from your old life. And not just so you can find a new path to walk on. We talked about that last week. There are thousands of books, by the way, available on Amazon that will lead you in ways in which to better yourself, right? Not a hard category to find if you go on Amazon one click. The path that Jesus calls you to is one where you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow Jesus, and begin a journey with the one who reorders your loves, who reorders your hopes, who reorders your dreams. In other words, your dreams and your loves and your hopes, they follow a certain path. They have a certain directional swing. So the things that you put all of your stake in in terms of what you love, the things that you put all of your stake in in terms of what you dream about and hope for, when Jesus invades your life and resurrects your dead heart, those things start shifting. So the desire for certain things have become reordered, man. Those things that I put all of my hope into now have shifted because I've seen that they're sinking sand. We just sang about it. So what happens upon new life in Christ is that our loves, our hopes, and our dreams are reordered. This is what turning to the Lord looks like. And let me just say this, man. I am so afraid for so many of you because you've just turned to a lot of things by coming here every week. But that doesn't mean Jesus is one of them. That's an easy thing to do. And that's something you should get quiet about right now when I say that. That's something that should stop you from stirring. That's something that should cause us fear and trembling. You think it doesn't cause me to stop and tremble? Because it does. And it should stop all of us in our boots. And we should go, hold on. 
What have I turned from exactly when it says the residents of Lida and Sharon saw this man and they turned to the Lord? That's a question that we want to ask as a church that wants to be saved from the death to come. Let's pick up in 36 on that cheery note. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So as we continue with this theme of this empowered apostle healing the sick and now raising the dead, we read about a sister in the faith named Tabitha who Luke tells us was full of good works, full of acts of charity. This woman was apparently a seamstress. She was held in high esteem by her friends, by her church community, which is why her death was such a massive loss. So just upon first glance here, the story of Tabitha gives the church a category for what it means to serve those with the gifts God gives us. What we just heard about from the Snooks, right? She reminds us what it means for the church to also to grieve, to grieve the loss of those saints who leave just this indelible legacy of grace on our lives. This is why it matters for all of us to pause and to reflect on the gifts God has given us. It matters for us to consider how God can use us like Tabitha was used to have so much grace on our church community given the gifts that he's given us. Now, we're not told how Tabitha dies, but it says the two men knew that Peter was nearby. They ask him to come to Joppa. Peter comes, and look what happens. He kneels down, he prays, and he says, Tabitha, rise. Tabitha opens her eyes. She sees Peter. She sits up. And Peter takes her hand and raises her up. He presents her, it says, alive to the saints and the widows of the church. Now this phrase, raised up, it's significant here, right? It's significant because it's the same words used to describe the resurrection of Jesus when God raised Jesus up. Now, the raising of the dead, man, was not something normative back then. We don't read about it on every page. God uniquely empowered the apostles to perform this miracle on occasion to give testimony to the resurrection of Jesus, right? What's significant, by the way, is not that Tabitha rose as much as what many, as as what it says here, that many believed in the Lord. Now remember, just to keep this straight, someday Tabitha died Like Tabitha's not still walking the earth today, sewing tunics and garments for us. 
We read about Tabitha today and believe that Jesus has the power over life and death, like what happened upon her resurrection. And this is where I think we struggle. This is what we're going to get into a little bit here uh, at the end of our time. I think what happens is when we read stories like this, and we're reading a lot of these kind of stories through the book of Acts, we read things like this, and so many of us, and I'm guilty of this, all right, we just kind of shrug, right? Even right now, our minds kind of wander. You know, the service has already been long, Ronnie. Are you going to be able to wrap this up by 10:15? Probably not. Our minds tend to wander, right? We go, yep, that sounds amazing, not believing that what's being described here is our own assurance. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? Like all of us are going to die from our last disease, right? All of us are going to leave this earth with bodies that have given out on us. What do we say? The death rate, one per person right? It's happening. It's a future reality for all of us. But the restoration, listen, that happened to Aeneas is going to be our reality someday when we reach glorification with Jesus Christ. The life that Tabitha was raised up to will be our reality someday when we see Jesus face to face in our glorified bodies. And what this does is it gives you hope. It gives me hope. It also gives you meaning. It gives me meaning. Because why? Because we physically suffer like they did. And so it gives meaning and hope to our suffering. It's why we still have hope if the treatments don't work. It's why we still have hope to give somebody who suffers from chronic pain. It's why we still have hope for someone who's breathing their last breath from cancer. None of us can escape our future reality. The question is whether our future reality is resurrection or not. Does that make sense? It's been, um, man, it's been an unusual month for me. I've lost some people this past month. My, my dad passed away back in 07. My mom got remarried uh, four or five years ago to a man that I, didn't get a chance to get to know very well. And he passed away about a month ago. And then a few weeks later, an old friend, an old high school friend of mine that had kept in touch with me, a guy named Randy, he ended up dying at 50 years old of pancreatic cancer. It's been an unusual month for loss for me. Um, it's probably been that way for, for many of you. We have these moments, we have these seasons in life where people are taken from us. And it causes us in a very good way, I think in a very healthy way, to become reflective. I remember I had, a, I had a little text message going with my friend Randy. I think it was two days before he died. We had lost some touch. We kept in touch, but we weren't really close, but close enough to where we were able to talk through some things at the very end. I was thankful for that. And so I just, man, after, after the end of a conversation, I just simply wrote something along the lines of, I'll be praying for God's peace for you at this time. And this is what he wrote back to me. He said, what I long most for is his presence. So Randy had the peace, but he was a minute away from being within the presence of God. So resurrection was very real for my friend Randy at this particular 
moment. God was doing a work in him, bringing him peace, reminding him of, of the presence that he was about to enter into. There was a hope with Randy. I didn't hear any cynicism. I don't know. He was probably afraid because death is scary, right? But there was this confidence. There was this peace. There was this assurance because he was a couple days away from meeting and being reunited with the love of his life which was Jesus Christ. So the resurrection, it gives us this peculiar kind of hope. What if you knew that someday you were never going to die? What if you knew that? How then would you live if your future resembled Aeneas and Tabitha's, but for eternity? How would it cause you to live? Here's a few things. This is what I think would change in us if we believed that, if we embraced that, if we prayed for the reality of that to constantly and consistently wash over us, the first thing would be that, number one, you would grieve differently. You would grieve differently. First Thessalonians 4 tells us, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, dead, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. As long as the Lord tarries, we still weep. But it's a weeping that is accompanied by worshiping. And it's a worship of the God who weeps with us today and will wipe our tears tomorrow. So we would grieve differently if we lived our lives remembering that we were never going to die and that we have resurrection hope. Secondly, mortality would not be your greatest concern. Romans 8, 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Imagine if you didn't have to fear death anymore. That your time on earth was not the end, but a beginning to grow closer in love and longing with the one you will become face to face with for all eternity. Mortality then would not be your greatest concern any longer. Luke 12, four reminds us, Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Why on earth would mortality be your greatest concern when you have a God who knows how many or how little hairs you have on your head? How is mortality a concern when the person who has defeated life and death holds your life in the palm of his hands? How does that change the way you live? How does it change what you hope for? How does it change what you love? How does it change what you dream for? How does it change how you view mortality? How does it change just the anxiety and the restlessness and the never-endingness of your life, the pursuits of your life, the attainments, the accomplishments, all the junk that you're just trying to, to draw in 
to give you some level of security because mortality is ever present. How would that change? Number three, your heart for the lost would beat with abandon if you embraced this resurrection hope. By abandon, we mean lack of restraint. First Peter 1.22 says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love your brothers earnestly with a heart that's been purified by Christ, he says, since you have been born again. By the way, he says, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So since you don't grieve without hope, since mortality is not your greatest concern, since you have been born again with resurrection hope, you now have the kind of heart to love and serve your brothers and sisters like Jesus. You have the kind of heart that beats with lack of restraint for those who are lost. Why? Because those who have been found by Jesus have nothing more to lose. That's why. And then you have a heart that God continues to cultivate for your brothers and sisters around you and then for lost brothers and sisters and neighbors around you with abandon, with a lack of restraint. And finally, resurrection hope, it gives us a heart for Jesus that beats with anticipation. So number one, you would grieve differently if you believed in your heart and lived out this truth that you were never going to die. Mortality would not be your greatest concern. Your heart for the lost would beat with abandon. Finally, your heart for Jesus would beat with anticipation. Paul talks about this in Philippians 1.21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, Paul says, that means fruitful labor for me. So if I continue to live, I have work to do. It's fruitful. Yet which shall I choose? I can't tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. He says this, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in time you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, I don't know about you, but when I have something to look forward to, right? Something I'm excited about. It changes how I approach more mundane things, right? Like the week leading up to vacation or, or the day I'm, you know, I'm going to hang out with some friends or the hours leading up to some incredible meal I'm looking forward to. It makes even the most tedious of tasks more easily endured. When there is something far better in your future, it means more necessary things will be a cause for you to glory and the hope you have for the ultimate thing, right? So listen, Having resurrection hope, which means someday we will depart and be with Jesus, it changes the necessity God is giving you to remain in this life and have fruitful labor for him. It means we can endure suffering because we have ample cause to glory for the healing that lies ahead. It means we can make hard decisions we can sacrifice our time, our talent and treasure. We can make it through hardships. We can be okay when we hit these setbacks in life. We can give away our life to others. Why? Because all of your eggs aren't in one basket anymore. This white knuckle fear and anxiety that overcomes you doesn't have to overwhelm you anymore because Jesus 
has shouldered it. Your life has a different ending now. All the other stories, they all end the same. Every story ends the same. Christianity is the only story with a different ending than all the other stories. It's the only one with a different ending. It's the only one that has life and a person at the end of it. Revelation 21 describes our end. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So that's something that we need to embrace. It's something we need to embody. It's the hope that we have that lies within us when Christ has made his home within us. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this astounding hope. That because Christ has been raised, we will be raised to new life. Someday we will be with him face to face. So God, when we read passages in Acts through this series, we read about Peter, who you gave this unique empowering to, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, Lord. And it gives us a picture of our future. And Lord, forgive us for the worldly cares that we carry with us that affect us so deeply for our forgetfulness that because of Christ, because of the resurrection, Lord, we have different dreams and hopes. Lord, our fears take on a different light. We grieve differently than the world. Our greatest concern isn't mortality because we've been given immortality. Lord, our hearts for the lost, Lord, they can beat with abandon and our heart for Jesus can beat with anticipation, Lord, because we have a future now that is settled and secured. And it's the hope of that, Lord, that allows us to focus on you in our day-to-day -day struggles, our day-to-day -day sufferings, our setbacks, our irritations, our disillusionments, and all the things that will face us in this life because we live in a fallen world. Lord, thank you for hope this morning. We don't want it to be an abstract word, but we want to find it to be true in the person of Jesus Christ. So Lord, make Jesus our hope this morning. Once again, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.